Hope that uh, you have been appreciating uh, the sermon series so far. Uh, it's, I mean, it's really a top-tier sermon series, um, and I, I think if you've missed uh, any or, you know, you want to go back and, and listen to them again, I, I really encourage that. I, I look forward to the rest of this series, and I hope you do as well. This morning, um, we are going to deviate, though. I don't want to take over Chris's sermon series, so we're going to be looking at 1 Kings 19 this morning. Um, you can follow along in your pew Bibles or uh, just listen. Uh, I have omitted a few verses from the middle. Uh, let's hear the word of God. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king, to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meloah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Israel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, send your spirit uh, this morning that uh, you may open your word to us, um, that you may speak uh, your word directly to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. To understand what's going on with Elijah in this text, I think we first need to know about Phineas. Phineas is an Israelite hero who shows up in Numbers 25. At that time, the Israelites were intermarrying with the Moabites and worshiping Baal. God's anger was kindled against them and he sent a plague on the people of Israel. While the people were gathered at the tabernacle to appease God, they see an Israelite bring a foreign woman into his tent. Exactly the action that was enraging God. So Phineas, who is Aaron's grandson and one of the priests, takes his spear. He pursues them into the tent and runs them through. And God says that Phineas saved the people of Israel because he was jealous with God's own jealousy. The word jealous here is important. In the Greek, it's translated as zeal, and it comes up over and over. The zealots of Jesus' day took this word and became violent resistors of Rome. They wanted to purify Israel in the same way that Phineas had. When Paul talks about how he persecuted the church, he says that he did it out of zeal. He too was looking to eliminate those that he perceived as corrupting Israel. The idea of jealousy or zeal is that they have the same hatred of sin that God does. This is the vein that Elijah taps into in our passage. He tells God, I have been very jealous for the Lord. And he was. In 1 Kings 18, just before our text, Elijah defeated the priests of Baal in a contest, and he slaughtered them all. Elijah was a holy warrior fighting God's enemies. So what is he doing at Mount Sinai? Well, he's confronting God. Elijah travels back to Mount Sinai. This is where God gave the law and the covenant to Israel. They've been in the promised land for hundreds of years, but Elijah returns to the place where God handed down his commands. And he goes there to condemn Israel as covenant breakers. He tells God, the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword. Elijah is going back, quite literally, to the law. Leviticus 26 tells us what God promised at Mount Sinai. This, too, is the word of the Lord. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters." 
And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. And my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheathe the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. Elijah comes to God at Mount Sinai, where these promises were made, and says, it's time for that. Israel has rejected you, and they deserve your judgment. Elijah tells God, I have been very zealous for Yahweh, the God of hosts. Now it's time for you to be zealous. Where are the plagues? Where's the lightning? Elijah's charge is that God isn't zealous, that God doesn't hate sin. So he stands on Mount Sinai to remind God that he needs to wipe out Israel. Elijah's burnt out. He's been trying to purify Israel of their idols, trying to turn them back to the true God, and his only results are death threats. If there is a hopeless cause, this is it. And Elijah isn't wrong. Israel was full of sin and evil. They had turned their backs on God and his prophets and embraced idols. But God doesn't respond in quite the way Elijah is looking for. How does God respond? God comes to Elijah and asks a simple question. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's easy to pass over this question and read it simply as a setup for Elijah's complaint. But I think there's more to it than that. What are you doing here? Why have you gone backwards? Why have you left Israel and the work I've called you to? Why have you given up? What are you doing here? God is not acting in the way Elijah expected. Elijah thinks God has failed. He invested insufficient energy into fighting the wicked. God sent Elijah and no one listened to him. Israel is completely disobedient and there's nothing more that can be done. Israel is looking, or Elijah is looking for the Phineas answer, final judgment. And before we get too much further, we need to stop here because God's answer to Elijah does include judgment. I don't think that we can ignore that in this text. We need to see that God's judgment is real and it is horrible. I was a little bit uncomfortable, including that passage from Leviticus 26, and I'm sure some of you were uncomfortable hearing it. Even the story of Phineas is a little awkward. Are we really supposed to look up to someone who solves problems by running people through with a spear? I think we've become uncomfortable with a God who judges sin. God makes no excuses or compromises when it comes to his judgment. He isn't pretending that sin isn't a big deal. When he introduces who he is, he tells us that he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. God isn't shy about his intentions to destroy the wicked and establish his reign over everything. 
Scripture is full of this promise. So why are we uncomfortable with the idea of sin being judged? Is it because we've grown comfortable with sin, with the sins of our culture and with our own sin? Do we really mind the materialism, the sexual immorality, and the injustice that surround us? Have we consumed the cultural lie that there are many ways to be righteous, and whether you actually choose to worship God or Baal is none of my business? When God tells us that he will stack the dead bodies of idolaters on the dead bodies of their idols, we cringe a little bit. We even excuse this by talking about Jesus. After all, he doesn't have such a problem with sin, right? He ate with prostitutes. He definitely won't be bothered by the way I spoke to the girl taking my order at Culver's. Scripture does not allow us to separate the Old Testament God from Jesus. Jesus is not God 2.0, redesigned without that awkward wrath feature. Jesus is the eternal Son, one with the Father and Spirit forever and ever. God's view of sin is Jesus' view of sin. And Jesus did not leave people in their sins. He called them away from their sins, called them to holiness and to become the people of God. And to those who set themselves up against God, Jesus brings judgment. Revelation shows us Jesus as God's vengeance from Isaiah 63, his garments red with the blood of his enemies. In our text, we see a hint of this judgment. God tells Elijah to anoint three people, two kings and a prophet, and those people will bring God's judgment on Israel. God will not wipe out Israel, but he will bring judgment. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. I've heard a number of sermons on this text, and they all seem to focus on God not coming to Elijah in the earth-shaking wind, the earthquake, or the fire, but in the whisper. And there's good stuff in those sermons. I'll be talking about that in a minute. But we can't miss that God's answer in this story is also that he will judge. Elijah was fleeing from Jezebel, and as God promised, Jehu killed her and her son Joram, the king of Israel. Then he killed 70 more of Ahab's sons. God judged Israel for their sin. People like Elijah, Jehu, and Phinehas carried out God's judgment, and it was not gentle. God will judge all those who set themselves up against him, and that judgment is coming. So is this sermon a fire and brimstone sermon? Well, it is. Jezebel will be judged along with all those who follow her. But that is not the end of what God says to Elijah, and it's not the end of what God says to us. We also need to see what God says to Elijah in verse 18. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. See, Elijah is convinced, I, even I only, am left. He does not see any fruit to his labor and only sees the people rejecting God and turning towards idols. He was as faithful and zealous as Phineas, but even that was not enough to turn the people away from their idols. So God gently corrects Elijah. This is the message of the violent wind, the earthquake, and the fire. God works in those powerful forms of judgment, 
but he also works in the gentle whisper. Elijah is not the only one left. There are many others whom God has preserved. Even though Elijah does not know them, they are faithful. God is at work even beyond Elijah's powerful acts of uh, prophetic might and his zeal. Brothers and sisters, we need to hear this. God is at work, even when we don't see it, even when it confuses us. God's plans are not foiled by the schemes of the wicked or their power. Just like Elijah, we can burn out when we run into obstacles. Maybe we have family members who are hostile to or uninterested in the Lord. Maybe we have coworkers who make rude comments about Christians. Maybe the Christians who make the news are poor imitations of God and who he has called us to be. Maybe your church disappoints you with our many flaws and failures. You've probably experienced all of these things to one degree or another, and they can make it very difficult to see how God is working. Because we expect God to work in amazing ways that yield amazing results. The disciples encountered the same trouble. For a while, everything seemed to be going great. They were gathering crowds, and Jesus was doing incredible acts. They were really building a movement. When Jesus came to Jerusalem, the crowds welcomed him as a king. But before long, the disciples' aspirations fell apart. Jesus was dragged off, flogged, and then crucified. As he died, he cried out with the first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On Saturday, as their Lord lay in the ground, they could not see what, G what God was doing. They thought that the Romans and Jewish rulers had defeated the Messiah. They thought the same thing that Elijah thought, that the enemies of God had triumphed. But Psalm 22 doesn't end in despair. It goes on, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him, and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried out to him. God doesn't just work in fire and brimstone. He also works in the seed that falls to the ground and dies. He works in churches that don't always have it all together. He works through you even when you don't know the right words to say. Our God works through plagues, but he also works through the cross. And God does not depend on Elijah to accomplish his work. Where Elijah proves unable to persuade Israel to leave Baal, God still preserves his people. God does not depend on the authorities to recognize the lordship of Jesus. As they lift him up to death on a cross, God is lifting him up to glory at his right hand. And God does not depend on us to bring about his kingdom. His spirit is at work even in short-notice sermons. God will bring his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, Elijah was a great prophet. But in 1 Kings 19, he has lost faith that God can accomplish his purposes. He understands Phineas, but not the cross. If we only have a Phineas mindset, we will burn out. 
I've been there. I can tell you what's down that road. It's very easy to believe in results, especially the kind of results that we can see. And when our efforts don't elicit those results, it's hard to see God at work. And it's even harder to imagine that God could be succeeding when we are not. It's good to remember Phineas. We should be as passionate about worshiping God as Phineas and Elijah were. Paul tells us that God wants us to be zealous for good works, to have that same vigor directed at carrying out God's will. But we also need to remember the cross. What looks like foolishness and failure in God's hands is more powerful and incredible than we can imagine. God is at work when we can see him and when we can't, and nothing will stop him from accomplishing his purposes. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we struggle to see uh, you at work. We live as though uh, bringing the kingdom depends on us. We live as though um, you do not give us every good thing from your hand and that we need to earn it. Help us to see what you are doing in the world, to see what you are doing in our lives, to be thankful for it, and to rest in you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We are not going to have communion this morning uh, because Chris is not here. Uh, so we are going to uh, stand and sing our closing song, Bountiful Messiah. <laughs>